text this morning is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I'll begin today by reading God's word. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life come not from the world, from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away, and all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. We spent last week our entire time in verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And we saw that the world that John is talking about is a particular world. It is not the world of John 3.16, which famously says, For God so loved that world. What world is that? That's the world of humanity, people. It's not what John's talking about. He's also not talking about in John 1, Christ making the world. That's the created world, this world, this universe, physical things. That's not what he's talking about. The world that is being described here is the world as a system of thinking, a perspective upon life, which is in hostility to God and denies the realities of the Bible, that there is a God, that there is a moral code, that we are accountable to God, that this life is not the only life. There is a future life. There is an eternity and God is there. And in that eternity, we are accountable to God. The world says none of that's true. And maybe that's in your heart here today. That ain't true. I don't care. That's the world's perspective. John writes about this world as a world that is in rebellion against God. It's a kind of practical atheism that lives for the things of this world. It is immoral, materialistic. It refuses to acknowledge God and any judgment that he might make. Practically speaking, it urges us to live only for this life. And it values things and it values stuff and encourages us to find our identity in them my importance in them to have security in them to have my sense of worth from them that's the world that we that we live in it craves admiration of men and so it does whatever it can to look good to people for people to think that we're something that's the world now if you grew up in a culture like I did, a church culture like I did, there was a lot of talking and preaching about the world and worldliness. And uh, mostly it was that the world is out there and it's bad and there are places that are worldly. But that's not what John says here, is it? Where is worldliness found? Where is the world found? It is not out there. It is right here in my heart. As I value and treasure things over God, created things rather than my creator. And here is where the battle lies, because the human heart only has one throne. And a genuine Christian, John is saying, will have God on that throne and will live his or her life in the direction of loving that God. 
Now, John unpacks this for us today in verses 16 and 17 and tells us why it really is futile and silly to love the world. And he gives us a couple of reasons. Let me read it again. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So you see that word from there, and we realize that John is basically making an argument from source. If you love one particular source, you love everything that comes from it. If you love something else, you love everything that comes from from that. You love the thing, you love the things that come from the from the thing. It's like my sister Barb. Uh, my, she's, what, 14 months younger than me. And she lives in Grapevine, Texas, on the north side of Dallas. Well, she tries in the summertime to time her vacations so that she can be in Iowa, the state that we all grew up in, uh, right around sweet corn season because she loves the sweet corn so much. And so she gets there with her family and they eat sweet corn and they love it and they buy big bags of it and they take it home with them actually back to Grapevine, Texas. And she's got friends who are there from Iowa and she invites them. They come together and they have a big Iowa sweet corn party and they eat sweet corn. They're wearing their Hawkeye gear, no doubt. And as they eat the corn, what do they think to themselves? Oh, the state of Iowa. It's so wonderful. We love the corn from the state of Iowa. You love the state, you love the corn. Works in Indiana too. (laughs) There's lots of corn here. It might have worked this last uh, week for you. This was Valentine's Day. What, Thursday, I think, was Valentine's Day. And so... Perhaps you got something from somebody that you love. And, for example, if you're a dad, you might have got uh, some crayon scribbles on a piece of paper, but you loved it. Had no idea what it was. It looked like, you know, hieroglyphics from caveman days or something, and yet you're like, oh, I love that it's up on your wall. Why do you love it? Because you love your daughter. You love your son who made it. That's just the way that it works. You love something, you love what comes from that something. And John says, if you love the world, you're going to love the things that the world's all about, the things that flow from the world. You love God, you're going to love the things that flow from what God's all about, the things that come from God. You cannot, you cannot say, I love the one source but then all be all about the things that come from the other source. You either love the one or you love the other because there is only one throne in the heart of man and either God or the world is on it. And so John writes then that these desires that are in this world do not come from God. They come from this perspective, this world that is hostile to almighty God. And he unpacks it here now with three categories of these desires. For all that is in the world, he begins by saying the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. Flesh here is not talking about like my, my physical flesh, my, my body. It's talking about that inward part of the human fallen nature, the sin nature that has all kinds of desires that go along with it. Now, we, are, we all have desires, don't we? God made us to be 
people of desires, passionate desires, things that we really love and want. And a lot of that is good and holy and part of what God created. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, builds an argument for the existence of God based on the existence of such strong desires that we have. He writes this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. It's a famous quote and a compelling argument for why we long, we crave, we desire. C.S. Lewis says, since nothing in this world satisfies, which is what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, then perhaps it's a suggestion that we're not made primarily for this world. So there are, there are desires that are good desires. And there are satisfactions of those desires, which God built into this creation, that correlate to the desire. And those are good as well. That's God's plan for meeting that desire. What John is talking about here is not the good desires that have good and holy satisfactions. They are the desires and this tendency of the sinful nature to take a desire that God has given and the satisfaction of that desire and to to make that satisfaction the ultimate thing in my life so that I'm not experiencing the good gift from God as a gift from God. I am looking to to the thing as being the thing that will ultimately satisfy me. If only I can have this or do that, then my life will have meaning and I'll have purpose. And these cravings in the world dominate the world, don't they? And they shout to us, the reason you're unhappy is that you don't have this and you don't have that. If only I did. And our world runs after these things, doesn't it? And it suggests to us that we ought to do the same. Why? Because there is no God. And if, even if there is a God, he certainly isn't the one that satisfies the desires of your heart. It's got to be these created things. This is Bart Simpson who prayed before the meal. God, we paid for this food, for, so thanks for nothing. An ungrateful, unthankful, non-acknowledgement of God as the giver of good gifts and a looking to the gift instead of the giver of the gift as the one that I'm really looking for. That is the world that we live in. And so our sin nature wants to take a good thing, make it an ultimate thing. So that the good desire for food is obsessed into gluttony. The good desire for Sabbath is turned into an obsession about ease and comfort and luxury. The desire for sex is turned into an obsession, and that shows itself in all kinds of manifestations. You could pick any good desire that we have in this world and mankind's sinful nature has corrupted it, obsessed over it, lust over it, desired it, and made it an ultimate thing. And so as we talk about desire, desire is good, okay? Desire is good. Obsession is good. As long as that obsession is God. When we obsess over anything except God... We now are making that thing our God. And the Bible calls that an idol. And idols take you to hell. What we're talking about today is not just some sort of nice idea, thank you very much for sharing it. 
John is saying, if you love the things of the world, the love of God is not in you. And if the love of God is not in you, you are not under the grace of God. It is another evidence of who is actually saved and who is not. When a professing Christian says, I love God, and then spends all of my life and all of my time, and I dream about and think about and obsess over and crave over and lust after things that do not come from God, the lusts and the desires of my heart are revealing that I do not have the love of God in my heart. And John is holding up the mirror for the self-deceived professing Christian and saying, look at your loves and see if the love of God is there. And if it is not, don't try to just generate it. Again, the solution here is not to do something, but to believe in Christ and to give our life to him, to trust in him and his work on the cross for us, and then to experience the love of God for the throne of my heart, for that to be displaced by the love of God and to live for the things that flow from him. Do you see what it's getting at here? Nod your head, say yes. Okay. (laughs) A little sweet corn is a good thing. But if my sister eats sweet corn for a month every day, she may never visit the state again. And that is the curse of the world that we live in. Obsessed with things and people and the admiration of others. And ultimately, it is empty. And it doesn't last, which is what he's going to get into in just a moment. Secondly, he says, the lust of the eyes. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And these are interrelated categories, I think. But what he's getting at here is that so much of what the world is all about flows through desires of my eyes. Not that my eyes themselves have desires, of course. My eyes lust after whatever my heart craves. Think of Eve, for example, Genesis 3. You know the story. God creates Adam and Eve, places them in the garden, says you can eat anything you want, you can go anywhere that you want, the whole thing is all yours, run around naked, have a great time. I mean, it couldn't be any better. Eve goes to the tree and sits there and looks at the tree. And there's the one fruit, the one in all this whole forest of things, it's the one thing she can't have. And Satan comes to her and says, oh, actually, let me quote here. And I don't have the quote, but I'll tell you what he said. Wouldn't this be great if you ate of this? God doesn't love you. He's withholding from you. Because if you eat of this, you will have what you want. You'll be like God. You'll know the difference between uh, the, the knowledge of good and evil. Come on. And the text says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. Lust of the eyes. David was on top of his palace going out for a little stroll after taking a nap. All the other kings were out there fighting wars. He's taking life easy. Why? He's King David. He's on top of everything. He can do what he wants. And so there he is, and he looks down, and there's Bathsheba, a beautiful woman who's bathing, and he can see her from the top of his palace. And his eyes set upon her, and his look became a lust and a leer, and his eyes lusted and desired her. Why? 
Our eyes lust after what our heart craves. It's the way that it works. The lust of the eyes. I think an easy example of this coming off of the David thing is something that um, I think most men can relate to. I, I hope so as I share this. And I share this only from the man's perspective because I've been a man all my life. So sisters, I... Sorry about this, but uh, I think I think men, you you you'll probably connect with this. That um, I have found in my in my life that I can be I can be flipping through a magazine, just doing something quick, or I can be flipping like website, you know, or even driving down eighty ninety four billboards going by like this, and if my eyes see something that even subconsciously looks female. Right? The men are like, I am not nodding my head at all to this. <laughs> like out of the corner of my eye or something. And i it, drawn to it. And then have you ever had it where you actually look at the thing and it's like an advertisement for fruit or something, you know? You're like, oh, it's not what I thought it was. Again, the men are going, I, I'm not saying nothing right now. <laughs> there was something about the shape. There was something about the look that made me think, oh, oh, oh. Why? Because God put a good desire in men for women. And the men said... Okay, we celebrate that. We celebrate that. But the sin nature corrupts that by seeking satisfaction in that outside the confines of marriage. And you see how we can take a good thing and we can make it an obsession, make it an ultimate thing, and how easily our hearts are swayed. This can, it can be anything. If you obsess over Corvettes, you see every Corvette on the road. If you, if you crave coffee, you can spot a Dunkin' Donuts from a mile away. Oh, look, there's the Dunkin' Donuts symbol. And it's, you know, person with you is like, it's a desert. There, I don't see anything. <laughs> You've got like spidey senses to see it. And why? Because my heart craves it. And so my eyes want what my heart craves. Now, why is this a problem? Here's why it's a problem, and here's why he's, he's talking about it, is that in, from the world's perspective, it is, it is only the appearance of things that matter. In this world, there, 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 it, there is a sense where it's just, it's the outward, right? It's the outward that is valued. It is the outward that is an indication of significance and worth. So that in this world, our eyes alight upon all kinds of things, lightly touching them, but never getting past the surface down to the real meat and the substance of things. This is why Jesus drove the Pharisees crazy. They were, all the t- they were all about appearances. They were all about the outward show. They were all about religion on the outside. And along comes Jesus, and he doesn't care about that. And he looks past all of that to the heart of the person. And he hung and cared for people that the Pharisees on the outside said they are insignificant. But Jesus did not have the lust of the eyes like this. 
He looked past it to the real meaning and the heart. But in this world, there is none of that. It's missed on people. It's all like the old ad, image is everything. And so we live in a world that Botoxes everything and airbrushes everything so that even what our eyes see isn't real. Why, why does our world go that way? Because it is all about the lust of the eyes and the appearance of things. So superficial. The gazer, the pornographer, the voyeurist. These eyes are not made to look at the surface of things. They are made to worship a God, that beatific vision of who God is in all of his glory and splendor. These eyes were made for that to be drawn to that. And now we're drawn to the things of this world and we look at them superficially. And John says, that doesn't come from the Father. That comes from the world. It's the way the world is. And you know what I'm talking about. Lust of the eyes. And the third category, pride in possessions. And this hardly has to be explained. <laughs> I think we all kind of get what he's talking about. It literally means, it literally means uh, the boastfulness of life. And the, the idea here is of the individual who desperately wants to give off a sense of self-importance and does so by propping him or herself up with the status symbols of the culture. And by doing that and giving off an air of importance because I have the status symbols around me, wants everybody to think I am really important. Because look at me, look what I have. In fact, the Greek word there is, it's, it's kind of like an, uh, the, the presumptuousness of life. There's a, there's sort of like a, the empty braggart. The person fill, trying to convince other people of how important he is. That kind of talker. The big hat, no cattle kind of guy. The thing that comes to my mind, and you've seen this before, is when you see like a 17-year-old boy and he's driving daddy's BMW. You know the look that he's got on his face I'm talking about? And you want to think, you you didn't pay for that. It's your daddy's BMW. And I just want to, I want to punch you in the face right now. (laughs) Right? As he drives by, they're doing that kind of, yeah, look at me. I watched the dunk contest last night. You see it all there too, right? They do the dunk and just, you know, the the whole like touchdown kind of, that whole thing. What is that? That's not from the father. (laughs) I know that. The ability to dunk like that is from the father, but the attitude after it's done is from the world. That's the world that we live in. Such pride, such boastfulness, such presumption. And again, possessions are not the problem. Pride in the possessions are the problem. It is when our possessions possess us. It is when things uh, are our identity. As Spurgeon said, the, the problem with the problem is, is not that the church isn't getting into the world, but there is so much world in the church. God's people propping themselves up, not with godliness and fruits of the Spirit, not identifying with Jesus, but like the world, saying, hey, look how important I am. We get these kind of people that come visit our church sometimes. And from day one, they want to convince me how important they are. It is absolutely annoying. I did this at the other church, and I did that at the other church, and you're lucky that I'm here now. 
What do you say to that? Perhaps you'd like to be a blessing at some other church then. <laughs> Possessions. So often they possess, they possess us. How do you know if your possessions are possessing you? How easily do you give them up? How easily do you give them up? Why would I give them up? I like having lots of them. How do you react when uh, they're taken away? When the stock market's going like that. You know, back in 1929, the stock market crash, maybe you've heard the stories about at the end of the day, there were all these very formerly successful businessmen who were just walking to the top of the tall buildings and just jumping off to their death. Why would sane and rational, probably educated businessmen at the end of a day of work walk to the top of buildings and jump off? If your identity is in your possessions, when you don't have them, you have no identity, you have no life. And that happens around, the, around us all the time. When possessions possess us, for all that is in the world, the, lust, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. When I love the world, I am dominated by the desires of the flesh. I want more and more of the world. And my eyes, coming off of what my heart desires, looks at things superficially based upon what the world says is really, really important. And the world says that possessions are important, and if I have a lot of them, I am important. And so therefore, I now boast about and, and view myself as imminently important because by the standards of the world, I am somebody. That's the way the world operates, not the Father and not the true Christian. Love the world and love what comes from the world. Love the Father and love what comes from the Father. The second reason not to love this world is that it is passing away. That's the rest of the verse here. And the world is passing away along with its desires. You know, we're so engrossed in this world and the way that the world operates, it seems normal to us. But isn't there often a sense for kind of middle class folk where the people that are rich, the powerful, the beautiful, they're always going to be the rich, the powerful, and the beautiful. Sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? They're just always going to be that way. The certain families, they're always connected. They always have resources. They're always winning the elections. Other people, they're, they're always the ones in the movies. They're always in the news. They're always on the front page of People magazine. Other people, they, their family had money. They take the money. They make more money. They're the ones that are always living large, always driving the cars, always wearing the clothes. They're just all, it's always going to be the way that it is if you have all that stuff. And yet, what does history show us about the, the rich, the powerful, and the beautiful people? What happens to all of them? They, they die. And then what comes of their riches and what comes of their power and what comes of their beauty? What comes of the kings and the queens of England, fabulously wealthy, who are dead now? And what comes of the pharaohs of Egypt? You want to talk about wealth? Did you ever see the King Tut display? Whoa, right? Fabulous wealth. What happens to them? Have you seen the mummy? Not so good. How about the beautiful people? How about the famous Cleopatra? 
How about Marilyn Monroe? How's Marilyn Monroe looking right now? Not so good, I'm thinking. They won't put her on the front of any magazine right now. Why? Because riches and power and money, they all pass away. And history shows that. But the world doesn't want to think about that, doesn't want to see that. But God's people looking at this whole thing, not from the perspective that this world is all that matters, but from the perspective of eternity realizes that all of the rich people, the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the musicians, the artists, the philosophers, the politicians, all of them die. And with their death comes or goes all of their lustings and cravings and all the things that they acquired. Another example of this, and this is probably one of the most annoying things on television every year, is the annual Academy Awards. I occasionally will watch the Academy Awards. I think they're on next weekend. I'll occasionally watch them. And if there's any place where they're the pride, like the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are on full display, it's the, it's the, it's the, the way that the, the Academy Awards show you know, happens. The red carpet, you know, the, the clothes, the dress. She's wearing a purple dress. And like for three days, people talking about the seam and the satin on the purple dress. So important. So important. And if you watch the show, most, at least for me, most of the time, with all the self-congratulation that they're giving uh, each other, you just want to, you know. <laughs> and the winner is, blah. I want to thank all the little people in my life that I can't mention because I don't have time. Blah. But there is one part of the Academy Awards that's worth watching, and they, they do this every year. It's when they play the video of all the, all the people uh, from the industry who died in the previous year. Have you seen this? You know what I'm talking about? That is worth watching. It's my favorite part of the broadcast. Uh, <laughs> And here is, here's the video from, this is 2012, at least a portion of the 2012 Oscars. You know, and they show them in their prime, in their youth. They're so, well, he's not so pretty, but, <laughs> um, you know, and Polly Platt, who's that? Ken Russell, I, I, don't, I don't know. Donald Peterman, I, Farley Granger, Farley. A talent agent makes the list. I, don't, I, I know who he is. I, how's it going for Steve Jobs right now? Uh, George, no, don't know it. Hal, not beautiful necessarily, but Whitney, know who she is. Yeah. And there's that fellow. It's not necessarily a video. You want to suddenly see your face after it's playing. <laughs> so I watched the video, or I watched the, the broadcast, and I don't know if you think this, but this is how I think when that's playing. I think to myself, what about all the people that are sitting there in the whatever theater it's in? Uh, and they're watching the video, do any of them stop and think to themselves for a moment, those people just a few years ago were sitting right where I am. And they were pretty, and they were popular, and they were making tons of money, 
And they're in the movies. They're famous. And now look at them. What has all of that done for them? Because they are dead. Maybe I should think about some, another way of living. It doesn't seem to happen, does it? Why? Because this world is blinded to the truth. This world is fleeting. It is passing. Live for the things that this world has to offer, and it's a guarantee that you will not get to keep it any more than all those people and all the rest that have ever lived get to keep it. Why would I have my identity in things that I don't get to keep? Why? Why live that way? And you see that what God is basically doing, it's not oppressive for him to say, don't live for the things of the world. Don't get your identity from the from this world. He is freeing us from the futility of living for a world that is passing away. Freeing us to live a life for things that matter forever. That's the love of God. That's the gospel and the goodness of God in it. Why live for what doesn't last? And think about our community here. In all the people tomorrow as work's going on, rushing to jobs and frantically running around, doing this, that, and the other, working so hard, striving, laboring, craving, lusting, hoping maybe a break will come and I'll get this thing and my life will be great and awesome. And, uh, you know, the singles, oh, if only I was married. The married, oh, only if I was single. And... Uh, you know, the, the poor, oh, if only I was rich. The rich thinking, oh, if only something else actually satisfied me. And if only I had this house or this spouse or this uh, educational experience or this degree or this achievement in my job. If only I had that, then my life would really matter. And none of those things matter. Not ultimately. Because they don't last. And God wants us to live our life for things that matter and Last, And that's the rest of this verse. The world is passing away along with all of its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And that is good news. In a world like this, where? Or in a church like this. I'm looking around. You know what? I don't see very many powerful people. I don't see any ultra-rich people. I do see a lot of good-looking people. We're mostly ordinary here, aren't we? We're ordinary people. And what, what John's writing about here is encouraging because the life that lasts, the life that matters is accessible for all of us. I don't have to be born into the right family. I don't have to have graduated from the right college. I don't have to have some person that's putting me in a high place in some another matter. What do I need? I need God, and a life that is lived to his will is a life that will last and matter forever. Why do I say that? Because God promises when we live a life loving him, obsessing over him, wanting to please him, we do that imperfectly, but directionally I'm seeking in order to to please the Lord. That is a life that matters in this life. The eye of God is upon it, and the reward of God is to it in the next life. Everything I give in this life, I get to keep in the next. Whatever I keep in this life, I lose. That's the logic that Jesus uses in Mark 8. 
Calling the crowd with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus is saying, listen, in this world it's all about gaining and keeping. But the, but the irony of the gospel is in order to get what you want forever, you've got to give up the temporary. And the world says, that's crazy, don't do it, hoard it, keep it, protect it, find your security in it, live for it, lust after it, crave it, find your identity in it, obsess over it. And Jesus says, give it up, give it up, surrender it, take up your cross and follow me. And in doing that, you will gain what you will never have to give up. This is Jim Elliott. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that little phrase has sent missionaries into the world, giving up the fleeting to live for forever. How about you? Have you surrendered your rights, your identity to the things that this world says is so important? Not that we can't have and begin possessions are not the problem. It's when they possess me. It's when I live for them. It's when I lay in bed and dream about them. It's when I think if I have them, then I will be happy. That flows from the world and not from the Father. Now, the world listens to a message like this, and they think that we're the nut jobs, right? Why would you ever give up something? Why give? Why support? Why, why sacrifice? Why not live for the things that we think are really important? Why would you do that? And we say the reason that we do that, we don't get to keep it. And by not doing it, we're going to keep what we never have to give up. I say they're the nut jobs. Who's really crazy? Who's really living wisely? Are you living wisely, friend? Are you? Look at your time. Look at what you do with your talents. Look at what you're doing with your money. Look at what you're doing with your dreams. Let's dream for what lasts. Let's give our life to what Last, we live in the world, we've got desires, we have needs and all the rest. We have possessions, we have money, we, we, we can aspire to things in our career, we can aspire to things in education, but I am not going to make a good thing an ultimate thing because my life, what's ultimate is God. And everything else is a gift from Him, which I can give up when He wants me to, and I'm certainly not going to live for. Now, I don't know if I could repeat that, but that was pretty good right there. <laughs> He who does the will of God abides forever. This is eternal life. This is the gift from God. Obedience is a fruit of genuine salvation. It shows that we know God and love him. And this is the goodness of God. He wants to free us from a fleeting world. It's like those people that were floating on the ship in the Gulf of Mexico this past week. What an experience that would have been. Imagine being a a stock salesperson for Carnival on that ship. Hey, anybody want to buy stock in this ship? They'd probably take him and throw him overboard, right? Why would I buy stock in this ship? There's no power to it. It's not going anywhere. We think it may go down. I wouldn't buy any stock in a ship going down. 
And what God is saying is live for, don't live for what's not lasting, fleeting. It's so seductive. It's drawing us, but it's not true. Live for what lasts. Live a life that will matter to God in this life and in the next. And there are challenges with that. We do it imperfectly. And all too often I bow to this world. But the direction of my life as a Christian is for the things of God. And that's the direction that will go on forever. So yet another message here at Bethel Church. Love God more than anything else. I've given this message a thousand times. But we need it, don't we? Pastor Steve needs it. Third service needs it. We all need it. So why don't we just take a few moments of meditation right now. If you would just bow your heads. This is an opportunity for you. I, I, I mean, this, you're, you have the opportunity now just to say, God, I don't want to waste my life. I want to live for what matters. And to hold up the mirror of God's word and to say, am I living by the lusts of this world, the desires of the flesh? Or is God on the throne of my heart? So we'll just meditate for a few moments here and then Dustin's going to lead us in a final song.